Welcome to Great Loop Radio, brought to you by America's Great Loop Cruisers Association. We're dedicated to sharing Great Loop information and inspiration with those actively cruising, planning for, or dreaming about a Great Loop adventure. This is Kim Russo. I'm the director of AGLCA. Today we're welcoming back John Horton, who is with Jack Martin and Associates. And with hurricane season upon us now, we're going to talk a little bit about making sure your boat is covered depending on where you are for hurricane season. And of course, with all of the uncertainty lately, we've got some boats that are still further south than they perhaps would like to be or their their plan for this year has changed and they may be keeping their boat in the hurricane zone. So we're going to cover all of that today. Before we jump into the topic, I do want to take a moment to recognize and thank our Admiral sponsors who support AGLCA at the highest level. They are Beneteau, Curtis Stokes and Associates, Dog River Marina, Passage Maker Trawler Fest, Skipper Bob Publications, and Waterway Guide Media. As always, we encourage our listeners to support these businesses that support the Great Loop. And again, I'd like to welcome back John Horton. John, thanks for joining us again. Hey, thanks for having me back. Yeah, we appreciate it. You're always our go-to person when it comes to some of these insurance questions. And as the COVID-19 uncertainty settled in a few months ago, uh, once people were making the decision to stop their loop or to stop cruising, and many were kind of hanging out in Florida a little longer than perhaps they planned. And the very next question people started to ask was, what am I going to do about hurricane season? So that's what we're going to talk about this year. Um, But kind of starting on a little bit of a broader scale, this, of course, is an unusual year. Um, In general, are there any trends you're seeing in the insurance market or premiums about the same as last year? Are there changes there and, you know, new coverages, anything different we should be looking out for this year? I'll start out by saying I sure hope this is not the new normal because it's a really strange year in the insurance industry. Mm-hmm. Um, as of Jan 1, we started out with six companies that have completely exited the yacht insurance arena altogether. Wow. So six of my 19 companies are no longer doing boat and yacht insurance. Um, you couple that with premiums being on the rise just due to all the claims that were paid out over the last two seasons. Um, so that's pushing premium up. That's also pushing six companies out. Mm-hmm. In addition to that, our underwriting requirements have become extremely tight. Uh, they are really focusing hard on your prior ownership, uh, uh, surveys, how well the survey's done, any of the recommendations from the survey, they're really picking them apart. Um, they're looking at your storm plans with that same type of intensity where they you know, are really buckling down and saying, hey, your storm plan's just not quite strong enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, the thing, absentee ownership. We're seeing people where, say, they live in uh, the middle of North Carolina. They keep their boat on the coast. If they're more than four-hour drive away from their boat, they're wanting an absentee caretaker in place. Um, so these are all things that have you know been around in the past, and they've kind of come and gone. But right now, the, the underwriting is really strict on those requirements. Um, it, I hate to say coupling again, but we're also predicting a crazy active uh, hurricane storm season. We've already got three um, on the books, and right now there's a moratorium in place for new business in Louisiana and Mississippi. I just got that email through my desk just a few minutes ago. So some of the companies aren't writing business in those two states due to the storm that's approaching in the Gulf. So that's that's kind of, a, I guess, a pulse on the industry right now. Yeah, and certainly not good news for most loopers. Um, yeah. And, and me having a boat here in Charleston, you know, we're in the hurricane zone. 
a lot of our lake boaters never have had to deal with this before. Um, so my initial thought was, well, if you're a little bit behind to getting out of Florida, that's probably okay because, you know, June is usually not too bad. The water isn't that warm yet. We don't have any big storms. And then turn around and have three named storms already sitting here in the first week of hurricane season. Uh, two were before it even started. So uh, certainly an unusual year from just about every perspective you can think of. Um, and I do want to talk a little bit, maybe we'll come back to this, um, but I, I do want to talk a little bit about some of what you mentioned about prior experience, because that's becoming more of an issue for some loopers as the insurance companies are requesting that more and more. And I've had a few who weren't aware of it or didn't anticipate a problem, thinking that their previous experience was going to be enough, were in the final stages of purchasing a boat and then couldn't find insurance because of lack of experience. So it, it, it is something that people newer to boating may not realize is it's not like buying a car and you can just pretty easily get insurance if you're willing to pay for it. Uh, the insurance companies for boating are going to require some experience. So we might be able to come back to that as we kind of go through the topic today. But I do want to take a moment to kind of focus on those loopers whose initial plan may not have had them in the hurricane zone during hurricane season. So you and I spoke uh, briefly probably back in March when this was all kind of breaking and people were starting to get nervous about that. And there were some rumors that perhaps some of the insurance companies would give a little bit of uh, leniency or make some accommodations for those who were staying in Florida or were behind schedule and in Florida longer than they thought. But everything changes every couple of hours, it seems, these days. So where do we stand now? Um, are people having problems getting coverage if they're still in Florida and hadn't intended to be? Um, are the insurance companies taking any of that into consideration? How is that all panning out at this point? I would say for the most part, the companies have been understanding, you know, with the exception of maybe one or two companies. Um, they will, what they've been doing is adding a large windstorm deductible until you get the boat out of the storm area, storm zone. Um, some of them will add some additional premium as well for however long you were going to be south of that. Um, so that's that's definitely something they've been fairly lenient. They've also pushed back uh, if, if you have a premium due, they're they're extending that to like 90 days instead of just saying, hey, you didn't pay it by today, your policy's canceled. Um, so that's for current customers. the The whole trick has been for new business. I have people that are here on the Chesapeake Bay and they're buying a boat, and the boat's currently in Florida, and they have to deliver it from Florida. These companies will not write boats in Florida during storm season on new business. Um, you, you know, the certain companies won't. I've got two that'll do it all day long and they don't care, but, it, you know, some of the companies that have the storm restrictions in place um, are not willing to do the delivery trip, whereas this time last year, if I had a guy that was on the Chesapeake Bay and he's buying a boat that's in Jupiter, Florida, and it's, he's going to go down, pick it up, bring it, um, they, they would just do a delivery trip for that. Even though it was storm season, they would have the higher deductible some additional premium, and they would allow for the delivery. Um, right now, they are not doing anything like that, which is, uh, you know, I think a result of just their tightening guidelines and underwriting restrictions that are being handed down to them. Right. So talk to us about what typically is considered the hurricane zone. I know each company can set their own boundaries on that, but typically how far north do you have to be to not need additional coverage or basically to, to have your normal marine insurance cover you? I would say the majority of the companies, it's 31 to 32 degrees north latitude. So that's going to put you somewhere between Savannah, Georgia, and the uh, Florida-Georgia border. That That's the typical line, and that goes across 
Um, if you're on the loop, that's going to go across to, if you're at 31, I think it's the top of Mobile Bay. 32 is going to get you, uh, uh, you know, a little bit further north on the top, 10 Tom, um, you know, up to Demopolis around in that area. Mm-hmm. So that's, uh, you, you know, according to the company, that's what it is if you have it. Right. So has that changed over the years? Because it seems like in recent years, besides the typical, you know, storms that we see in Florida, North Carolina has been hit a few times. Um most of the South Carolina coast, thankfully, has been spared, but we did have a few kind of in the northern part of the state. So uh, does that change at all, and is that something that boaters need to look at and relook at on a regular basis? It, it can change. I haven't seen it change from 31 to, and 32 probably for the last seven or eight years. Prior to that, they were adjusting it quite a bit. You know, it would be from Cape Hatteras, North Carolina, 36 degrees, um, you know, 35 degrees with some companies as well. Uh, so, yeah, that's definitely something they can fluctuate. Uh, they obviously have to give you a notice, and it's usually done at renewal time, and if it's not going to work for you, we'll shop you to a different company. Um, another thing I have seen change in the past, they will change the hurricane season dates. So you can't go south, um, you know, prior to, say, November 15th or even December 1. Um, so I've seen companies switch. November 1 is the normal date, June 1 to November 1, but uh, during these heavy claim seasons, I've seen their knee-jerk reaction the following year be, you know, things like where they knock that north latitude up to 36 or even extend the, the bottom of the season date to November 15th or December 1. Okay. That's also good to know because that can certainly, on the um, in the fall, affect loopers coming south um, into Mobile Bay and, and across the Gulf. So that's definitely good to know and something loopers should check out on their policy um, so if you're new to boating at all in a place where there could be hurricanes, or if you're happening to need to leave your boat there this year, you may not never have dealt with this type of coverage before. So talk to us a little bit about what benchmarks people should look for to know that they are, they've got good coverage and they've got enough coverage. Well, you know, first of all, I think you just pointed, touched on something which is, is very vital um, you want to read that policy and find out, you know, exactly where you can be and when you can be there. So make sure that fits your cruising plans, um, you know, to be in or out of the zone um, during that, that time of season. Other important things uh, for these types of policies, check your name storm deductible. Uh, what that means is uh, they have a 5% of the whole value. So if you have a $100,000 boat, that means you have a $5,000 name storm deductible. So this can vary from company to company as well. Some companies, it's a 5% name storm deductible. Other companies have a 10%. Um, there's actually a few carriers out there um, that have go all the way up to 25%. So get a good grasp on what would happen um, with a name storm, a name storm being a tropical depression, tropical storm, or a hurricane. So if a hurricane damages your boat, you've got a different deductible than your regular hull deductible. That, uh, that came with a policy. So uh, get familiar with that and just kind of, uh, you know, get rid of that surprise if it does come to you. Um, it's also nice to be with a company that could offer hurricane haul-out coverage. What this means is the company will split the cost to have your vessel either hauled out of the water or moved out of, harm, moved out of harm's way if a named storm is approaching your area. Um, this cost usually have a limit on it. It's usually $1,000. So what that means is they will split the cost of you to haul the boat and put it ashore um, with you. So if it costs $1,200, they'll pay $600, you pay $600. Uh, 
um, which is, you know, it's a nice motivation to get your boat out of harm's way. And um, it also helps them, you know, with the claims payout. So it's a, a win-win for both sides there. So um, one of the things that you mentioned earlier on was the need for a hurricane plan and that the insurance company is going to be looking for that and that they've become a little bit more stringent on what they'll accept for that. And we do occasionally get questions at AGLCA on, you know, exactly what is that? What are they looking for in the hurricane plan? So any tips that you can give for what some of the insurance companies you deal with might be looking for? Yeah, absolutely. I would say the number one plan that most companies will accept, if you're having the boat hauled out of the water, that's a win-win every time. Um, they like to see it hauled out, strapped down, um, you know, or even placed into a cradle. That's always a good one as well. Um, this, you know, obviously doesn't work for everyone. And uh, another good option, if you you have a, a nice tie-up plan, which means you would leave the boat afloat, um, it would re involve removing all the canvas and cushions, securing any loose deck gear, um, doubling up your lines, adding chafe protection, um, adding heavier gauge lines. You know, all of these things are, are what, what an underwriter would be looking for when you submit a survey up, up to them. Um, some other options would be if you hire a captain to move the boat inland. That's, uh, that's another thing that they like to see. You know, maybe you're moving it out of harm's way or maybe you're on board and you're moving it out of harm's way. Um, see a lot of that as well, but, what they want to know is that you are the type of customer that has a storm plan where if you are pinned down somewhere and you can't get out of the way, what would you do with your boat? Right. So that's uh, that's a lot of times what they're looking for. So I know here in Charleston, this is something you have to pre-plan because there are only so many haul-out facilities. Uh, some of the haul-out facilities offer, I almost call it an insurance plan of their own, where you pay a fee for the full hurricane season and you have a space, and they will haul you out. You know, they'll set aside a time for you. So you're essentially paying a few thousand dollars, I think it was three or four, uh, to guarantee yourself a space if there's a storm. Now, there may not even be a storm, but you've got that reserved for you. The other option is some of the yards pull out first come, first serve when there is a storm coming, and that can be a challenge as well because, again, there's only so much time and only so much space. And a lot of times, some of the fishing vessels, the charter boats, will pull their boats out very early if there's a storm coming and just make sure that in that way that they have a space. So for people who are living aboard and may still be trying to get some miles under the keel before the storm, that can be a challenge as well. So what is your take, John, on the idea that, how detailed, I guess is my question, do the insurance companies want this to be? Can you just say my plan is that I will have it hauled out, or do you need to have the specifics of where and how and when in that plan? Yeah, the, when you have a haul-out plan, there's actually a form they will send you and ask ask you to fill out, hey, what's your storm plan? And if you say, I'm going to have it hauled out, they want to know where. Um, so, you know, most of these policies, it's not a warranty on the policy that you have to have it hauled out at XYZ Marina. Um, you know, most of, the, most of the time, as I said before, they're assessing you to see what kind of risk you're going to be for them and that you're the kind of person that does have a storm plan. Um, you know, you don't want a warranty if you're cruising your boat. Obviously, uh, you can't get back to Charleston to XYZ Marine and haul it out if you're up in New Brunswick cruising on the boat. Um, so that's that's a big thing you need to look at on the policy to make sure it doesn't warrant that you have to be at this marina to have it hauled. Um, so, you know, that that's as far as how detailed they're wanting you to go into it, they, the more detailed the better. And there is a form, like I said, they'll send out to you that asks, like, 
10 to 15 questions on, okay, if you can't haul it here, what do you do? Um, what's, what's your plan B, you know, uh, how many lines do you put out? That's, that's all the kinds of things that they would mm-hmm. be asking. And so mom even ask you to draw a little diagram. Okay. And as far as you mentioned earlier that some of the companies are requiring you to have a caretaker for the boat if your primary residence is a certain distance away, uh, can that typically be the marina where the boat is kept, or is there something in addition to that that they're looking for? It, well, they don't want you to say, hey, hey, the guy's at the marina, but look after my boat if, if that happens. There, there's been a lot of claims that, that were paid out with that exact scenario. So what they want is, hey, I, I, I've spoken with Jeff at the marina. Mm-hmm. Jeff goes by my boat once a week. He takes a peek inside to make sure there's no water in there. No windows are broken out. Nothing's been stolen. Um, you know, or it could be even more detail where they actually climb on board and make sure the float switch is working. Um, it, it really, according to where you are, how big your boat is, um, they, they would, what an underwriter would like is you to have a contract in place with someone that says, Hey, I pay this guy $10 a week. He goes by my boat. He takes a look, uh, takes some pictures of it, texts it to me. Um, so that's, that's another option as well. Mm-hmm. Do some of the the boat monitoring systems that are becoming more prevalent help with that as well? They do, but they they still, you know, that's great to have, and and it's awesome, and it's good for your own benefit, but they would also like to know, you know, if if someone's, if something's going on with your boat that maybe may not be being picked up by, uh, um, you know, these monitors. Say you had a broken window on your boat, and it's raining in and it's destroying your whole uh, your whole galley area, the wood in the galley. I mean, that's that's something that may or may not be picked up on a boat monitoring system. Mm-hmm. But if you had someone going by the boat, they would obviously see that and could um, you know get the window repaired. Right, and even if it's a even if there's is an issue and it's picked up by your monitoring system, if you're far away, there's still a challenge sometimes of getting it taken care of. So uh, always good to have somebody looking after the boat, whether it's for insurance or your peace of mind or just to prevent that damage. So good plan on that. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, I want to talk a little bit about, you know, how much all of this costs, because if your boat is always in Florida, you may not realize how much more you're actually paying for that in the summer months. Um, but also if you've been a lake boater and you've never had to deal with this, you might be surprised by what the additional premiums might be. So I want to talk about that. Um, and then maybe we can kind of circle back around to the idea that you need a certain amount of experience with a boat in order to get it insured. So let's take that break and we'll come right back in just a moment. Did you know that every mile of the Great Loop is covered by Skipper Bob Guides? Its mile-by-mile format is a great planning tool and essential at the helm. On the most popular routes and side trips, Skipper Bob covers preparation, navigation, bridges and locks, and the best places to visit. Skipper Bob Guides are updated each year, and its website keeps you current with navigation alerts and cruising news. To check it out, go to skipperbob.net. Skipper Bob is a proud Admiral Sponsor of AGLCA. We're back on Great Loop Radio. My guest today is John Horton. He is with Jack Martin and Associates. They are one of the insurance sponsors for AGLCA, and they are very good at finding you the right coverage and making sure you've got all of the right parameters in place uh, so that you've got the coverage you expect if something does go wrong. So let's talk a little bit, John, about premiums for hurricane season. You know, I know every boat is different and every company is different and uh, there's a lot of factors that can go into what that premium is going to be. But, you know, can you give an example if, if 
you can expect to pay 25% more, 50% more, just general numbers on what it might cost to have a boat in Florida during the summer months instead of further north. Yeah, I would say this year is probably a little tougher to do that because of all the carriers, one, that have exited their markets and the ones that have remained have increased their premiums because the last two storm seasons uh, resulted in a lot of claims being paid out. Um, there's a lot of carriers who would insure a boat down in the hurricane zone that are, you know, just gone out of business or exited the whole arena. That being said, I would probably expect your premium to be at least 50% higher if you're staying below 31 degrees, um, as opposed to someone who's willing to go back north of 31 degrees. Mm-hmm. So um, that could be substantial. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It's, it's definitely something to think about according to how big your premium is. You know, if you're talking of the difference of a, thousand dollar and a fifteen hundred dollar premium to me i don't know if the five hundred dollars will be enough to to jump in my boat and take it all the way north if i'm down in key west mm-hmm. you know that's uh it's really according to just to you know what you're willing to to, to move with there sure and on the flip side of that if you live in florida and typically keep your boat there year round you can save that while you're on the loop because you are then out of florida um, and you and I have talked before, John, and, and you're an advocate of keeping your insurance agent in the loop, so to speak, uh, about where you're cruising, and particularly on the Great Loop because it is a little bit different than your normal cruising. Uh, is that what most agents recommend? I mean, if somebody calls you and says, hey, I'm getting ready to do the Great Loop, what do I need to do? What would you recommend to them? Yeah, absolutely. First of all, I would always like to know what, what your idea is for your cruising plans for the next year and even for the next two years. Um, that way I can tailor a policy for your exact cruising area. Um, for example, if you're going to spend the next year in the Chesapeake and North Atlantic, we can quote you just for that area as opposed to the entire Great Loop. So you're not paying for the Florida, Bahamas, Inland Waterways, um, and the South Atlantic if you're only going to be you know, from Virginia North. So that's always an option. It's a great way to save premium. I have a lot of people as well right now with the canals closed that are going to stay on the Great Lakes this year and aren't going to be able to do the loop. So Another way to save premium, just give us a call. We can. It's not a hard move for us. We can add layups. We can, um, uh, you know, rearrange your navigational range as well. That will uh, save you some premium. And again, you know, it's a little bit different than probably most forms of insurance people have dealt with because they're you. You are moving a really good distance in the boat. So yeah, definitely keep your agent aware of what your plans might be. And of course, in in this year, those plans seem to change pretty regularly. So definitely keep those lines of communication open. Let's go back to what you mentioned earlier, because it is an issue that I see becoming more prevalent for new loopers, but particularly those that are newer to boating. And that is some companies will not insure you unless you have a certain amount of experience with a boat pretty similar to the size that you're contemplating for the Great Loop. So any benchmarks on what companies are requiring and how you can get that experience if you don't have it? Yeah, I would say one thing that they've changed from it used to be experience. Now they're looking for prior ownership. Um, so that that's a, a big difference there. What what they used to say is, hey, you know, he's charter boats all around, um, you know, up to 40, 50 feet, and he's going out and buying a 40-footer. We'll, we'll throw a captain on board for 10 hours training. Um, and some companies will still do that if you're say you're just staying on the Chesapeake Bay with a boat they're fine with that but you know for people with broader cruising ranges they're wanting to see some type of ownership Um, what that means is you're going to boat within 15 feet of the boat that you're purchasing for a minimum of three to five years Uh, that that's a 
a big deal, and, and it's 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 caused us a lot of uh, tough phone calls um, over the last six months. It, it's just something brand new, and uh, what the companies were seeing is they were paying out an exponential amount of claims for people who had never owned a boat before but had experience um, that were getting in bigger boats and having claims. So that that's what it's resulting from. Um, but it's a, it's a, a tough one to swallow. So what, what they're obviously what they're wanting is you to go out and start with a 30 foot boat and then move up to a 40 to 45 foot boat and then move your way on up. Um, that's, that's kind of the, their logic behind uh, throwing that out there. Yeah. And that's going to probably cause, cause heart palpitations for a lot of, uh, planning loopers, um, you know, they may be looking at a 40-foot boat, which is still the average size out on the loop, and they may have had a, you know, 20-foot runabout that they've used on weekends for the past 20 years. Um, but that 20-foot jump, it sounds like, may not be acceptable to some of the companies. So how widespread is this requirement? You know, if, if somebody comes to you and they're in that situation, can you typically find them coverage, or is are all the companies in line with that? Yeah, no, we can usually find coverage. We have companies, uh, you, you know, that will ride it. Uh, their premiums may be a little bit higher, and their coverages might not might not quite be as strong. You know, maybe they um, you have a four hundred thousand dollar boat; they're only willing to insure it up to three hundred fifty. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, seeing some things like that. But uh, no, there's definitely markets out there that will do it. So, okay. I mean, there's no reason to completely panic, but it's. Um, it, it, it definitely makes my job a lot harder. <laughs> sure, um, and kind of along that same line. Um, if the insurance company is requiring a captain for a certain amount of time, that may not be something that people have budgeted for if they weren't expecting that. Have you seen, and, and that's kind of been a, I don't want to say standard, but we've seen that for a long time. How is, is that length of time increasing? How long do, do insurance companies typically say, well, we, we want a captain aboard for 10 hours, or is it typically a week, or is it longer than that? How does that work? It, they base it off of your prior experience. Mm-hmm. So if you grew up, say, you know, I, I grew up, my dad had lots of lots of boats, and, you know, I had experience. I've delivered an 80-foot houseboat from Louisville all the way to Lake Gunnersville. Um, but I've never owned a boat in 80-foot range, so if I went out and tried to buy a 60-, 70-foot boat, it, it, it would be a, a tough sell for me. Mm-hmm. Um, they would, though, Although they would look at my experience and say, hey, you know, he's got, you know, 200 hours on a 60-foot boat or an 80-foot boat. They may only require 20 hours of training with a captain for me, whereas someone who has you know, less experience with that, never operated boat in that size range, they may require 40 hours. So they kind of use that as a, a I guess, a, a, a basis for how they're going to determine how many hours they will require. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, and that, that of course, makes sense. Um, before we wrap up, any other thoughts or tips for people who, you know, might be new to insuring a looping boat? I would just say right now, be patient. We're all just waiting for that next company to pop. Um, you know, we had, like I said, six companies disappear completely. And what usually happens in this type of scenario is you have the standard markets who have been around forever. And uh, as long as we have, knocking on wood as I say this, as long as we have a good storm season, um, you know, where they're not paying out a lot of claims, then next year the guidelines will loosen up, you know, so they may start allowing people who may not have owned a boat within 15 feet of range, or, you know, that may knock it down to one year instead of three-year requirements. So this is all kind of a... a following the bouncing ball with these underwriters right now. Yeah, and yet you have to uh, 
have to have some sympathy for the underwriters because everything is so uncertain. Um, so we can just kind of add this to the list of things that are very fluid when you're planning for your Great Loop trip. Um, and hopefully everything across the board, including the insurance marketplace, will settle down a bit in the next year and, and things can kind of get back on track to the way they were. Um, but I think the good news, John, that you've shared is that it's not impossible to get insured if you don't meet some of these parameters. It just might be a little bit more of a challenge, a little bit more time consuming, um, and possibly a little bit more costly. You're exactly right. You're exactly right. It's the uh, I've been doing this for 18 years now, and this is the hardest market I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. Not great news, but hopefully, um, you know, hopefully that will start to improve. And, and again, it's not impossible; it's just different. So uh, be patient out there, everyone. Um, John, if people have questions for you, what's a good way for them to reach you? You can always get me uh, on my cell phone four four three 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 six six eight three eight. Or email works great as well. My email is very simple. It's just J-O-N, which is John, at jackmartin.com. So either of those I have with me 24-7. Feel free to reach out with any questions at all. All right. Uh, John Horton with Jack Martin and Associates, one of our insurance sponsors at AGLCA. Thank you so much for joining us and sharing all of that information. We appreciate it. Hey, always a pleasure, Kim. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. And to our listeners, thanks for joining us once again. We'll be back next week with another episode of Great Loop Radio. Until then, safe cruising. 